0: Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Revolutionized Mind. Firstly, I am blown away at the amount of support and sweet messages that I've received from you all. Thank you so, so much for listening to me talk and for giving me the opportunity to normalize these conversations about mental health. It was both reassuring and saddening to see how many of you could relate to my story. It's pretty messed up knowing that so many of us struggle with our inner demons, as I like to call them. But I do find comfort in knowing that I'm not alone, you're not alone, and that I really do have the ability to use this podcast in a positive way and hopefully make an impact on your lives. So thank you to those who have reached out, shared their stories with me, asked me questions, and for just reminding me of why I started this. Remember, you don't have to see the whole staircase just to take the first step. One step, one breath, one day, one smile at a time, or whatever gives you meaning. We will get through this together. Enjoy the episode. Today's topic is mental health versus mental illness. You'd be surprised at the amount of people who don't know what the difference is between these two terms or that there even is a difference at all. Mental health and mental illness are not synonymous, meaning that they cannot be used interchangeably. And this is information that you would assume is common knowledge, but is actually not something that is talked about as often as it should be. I thought it would be super important to emphasize the distinction between mental health and mental illness before we move on with the rest of the podcast, because language is arguably the most important factor relating to the stigma that is still so prevalent in our society today. Increasing our knowledge on these topics is the first step that we can take in a positive direction. Education, awareness, recognition, language, and so many other crucial factors stem from what we know and what we think we're allowed to feel and do with our lives. And if there is one thing that you're going to take away from this episode, please remember that one in five people have a mental illness, but five in five people have mental health. This conversation is relevant for everyone and not just those who have experienced mental illness because we all have mental health and it's up to us to make sure that we pay attention to what our mind is telling us and to do whatever you need to, to allow your brain to do all the sciency chemical stuff that it's supposed to. Sorry, I'm in Bachelor of Arts, not science, but I'm sure you get what I'm saying. Just as you work out for your physical health, and I know your mental health, but bear with me. You need to spend time and energy on your mental well-being to ensure that you are the happiest, healthiest, most successful version of you that you possibly can be. So I learned all of this information in Jack.org's mental health advocacy training that I have completed annually the last three years. For those of you who don't know, I am a co-lead of the Student-Athlete Mental Health Initiative, or more commonly called SAMI, as I'm sure you will hear throughout the episode. And there are several campus teams across Canada who aim to reduce the stigma, normalize the conversation, improve education, increase access to resources, and to just really give student-athletes a place to feel comfortable sharing their story and openly discussing their mental health. And initiatives like this are so important for the larger community because it changes the way that we think and feel and talk about mental health. And this absolutely helps those who are mentally ill to find the strength in themselves to speak up about what they're going through, knowing that they are in a supportive environment and can be directed to the appropriate resources. Now there's a whole nother conversation about professional resources and lack of availability that we won't get into today, but this is where we are trying to take the conversation and make these changes for those who need it. I did just want to share some of jack.org's information on this topic because in order to understand the distinction between mental health and mental illness, you really need to know what they both mean and how each can affect your life. So mental illnesses like mood disorders, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, and many more are a cluster of symptoms that majorly impact someone's life. And these mental health symptoms include things like persistent low moods, severe anxiety, hearing or seeing things, or obsessive thoughts. These individuals tend to experience irregular patterns in their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, but to be diagnosed as an illness, a doctor has to assess the duration, severity, and impact of these symptoms. Aside from mental illness, anyone can struggle with their mental health, and there are several risk factors that can contribute to this such as genetics, environment, culture, and societal structures or barriers. And another key thing to note is that our mental health is not black or white. It lies on a spectrum, which means that how we are feeling can fluctuate up and down daily, weekly, monthly, and so on. And the spectrum can be an episode in itself, but today's focus is for you to learn about the difference between mental health and mental illness so you can know how to take care of yourself as well as others. And to highlight this difference, I wanted to bring one of my good friends, Emily Sluice, onto the podcast to share her story and her perspectives on her mental health journey because it's as informative as it is inspiring and I think that she can help a lot of people recognize what they may be going through and what are some of the best ways to deal with it. I have had the honor of being a co-lead of Sammy with Emily for the last two years and I have learned so much from her in such a short period of time and she has been such a positive light in my life and I know she will be for many others. So I hope that you guys can really take something away from her story and I hope you guys enjoy listening to her talk because she has a lot of awesome perspectives to offer and I hope that she can be that positive light for you that she is for me. Before I play you guys my conversation with Emily, I just had to tell you that I FaceTimed her last night and asked her to wear her wired headphones because apparently that audio works great over Zoom and just to warn her that I'd be set up with like my mic and my headphones and everything and just to tell her not to worry about the sound quality. And I'm sitting here listening to our recording and I'm like, why does my audio sound like shit? Turns out I never actually connected my microphone to Zoom. So my audio is coming out of my Bluetooth headphones and Emily sounds like she's in a recording studio while mine sounds like it's recorded off of a first generation Samsung flip phone. So I did just wanna warn you that the audio is a little bit wonky at times and you may have to adjust it throughout the episode. I hope that this is the last audio warning that I have to give you guys and that I have it all figured out for episode three. I'm trying to figure this out and clearly I need to understand how to connect a microphone to the program that i'm using so hopefully everything is sorted out by the next one but i hope you can still make out everything that we're saying and enjoy the episode
1: hi emily thank you so much for joining us today how are
2: you doing i'm good how are you doing
1: i'm good thanks so i wanted to have emily as my very first guest on this podcast because one she's awesome and two she said something during her interview for sammy about two years ago that i have never forgotten and that is that you don't have to be diagnosed with a mental illness in order to feel like you've hit rock bottom so i think that emily's story is a perfect distinction between the mental health and mental illness that we're talking about today so i not you just take a few minutes to introduce yourself
2: yeah so i'm super honored to be featured on here this is such a great platform um, so my name is Emily Sluice, and I'm in a fourth year in an honor specialization in psychology at Western University. Mental health has always been something I'm super passionate about, so being on here is so incredible. I want to be able to share my story in the hopes of reaching out, even if it's just one person that I can help. I want to make sure that I can do that and make a positive impact. So some hobbies of mine have consisted of eight years of competitive track and field. Three of those years, which I've competed for Western University on the varsity track and field team. Long jump was my main event and really my true love. I'm into art. I like using that as a creative outlet when I have some time. I really enjoy working out, hanging out with my dogs. One of the biggest things for me is pushing myself in all aspects, finding new things and new ways, to better myself each and every day. So self-growth has been more and more of a priority for me. As future plans for me, I hope to complete a master's in psychology and become a psychologist where the focus of my day is helping others help themselves. That's
1: awesome. So jumping right into things, with as little or as much details you feel comfortable sharing today, what is your mental health story?
2: All right. Well, as you mentioned, my story revolves around a motto I live by after experiencing this, and that is you do not have to be diagnosed with a mental illness to still feel like you've hit rock bottom. It is okay for you to feel weak and low. And not have a specific reason. You do not need a diagnosis for all of those things to be valid. You matter regardless. So what happened to me is I had an injury flare up in my second year into my varsity track and field career. I woke up one day after practice and my hamstring was in excruciating pain. I couldn't even walk. And this is when I started to panic. This was the start of my downfall. First, an injury that no doctor could diagnose. No one knew what it was, and it would not get better no matter what I did, no matter what I tried. This was hard because I felt like maybe I was making it up. What if I was over-exaggerating? What if all those people who told me it wasn't a big deal were right? This was my first battle, and I continued to try and push through the pain that flooded me every time I even tried to run. I tried to chase numbers, results that would try and validate that I was still good enough. This was a big hit to my mental health. All these people not knowing how bad I was struggling, telling me it was strange that I was feeling sad from this, I began to live my worst nightmare when my sport was taken in an instant. I started to hurt so bad mentally. It was so hard that one of the things that I loved so much, my one true passion and escape was just taken from me. I felt worthless and hopeless. Track was a way for me to escape tough times going on in my life. It was my coping mechanism, for stresses that I faced in my life. So tough times began to worsen for me because I didn't have that escape anymore. I started to face terrible sadness, frustration, and negativity. My whole world was affected. Every aspect of my life was darkened by this burden I faced. I became someone I had never been before. I was never happy. I lost all my confidence. I was fragile, weak, sensitive, and lost. My pain and mental health got so bad that I couldn't keep it anymore. I cried myself to sleep every single night. I was spiraling. One of the biggest things for me was what people had said to me when I was going through this. No one knew what I was dealing with, but so many people had said things to me that just completely broke me inside. I had someone I'd known that was just like, oh, why do you feel that way from an injury? Or why do you feel the way you're feeling? It's not a big deal. There were so many things that I experienced during this time because a lot of people couldn't see what I was going through. And whatever had happened during this time just felt so heavy on me. I remember one day, one of my coaches came up to me and said, how are you doing? You don't seem like yourself. And this was like two months deep into feeling these feelings that I was like, finally, someone realizes. Finally, someone realizes. Except on that spot, I just, I broke down and I I started bawling and I was so weak and tired of battling this inside. That That was a really tough moment for me. And that was one of the moments where I was like, I need to do something about this.
1: I do just want to acknowledge here that the loss of a sport or your athletic identity is such a huge factor. It is obviously such a huge part of your story. This is such an extensive and complex topic that I'm sure I'll get into in later episodes with my athletic history and my own injuries. For The purpose of today, we are just going to focus on your story without the athletics, but I do just want to commend you for that. Going through injuries is so difficult, and I myself know what you've gone through, so... Good for you for getting through. i would been really happy to have you share your story with us today. So what were some of the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that you experienced during this time?
2: Yeah, so some of the biggest ones for me would be self-doubt, sadness, I felt lost. Self-doubt for me existed because I had so many people around me doubt what kind of athlete I was. I was coming into this very confident in myself and that self-doubt kind of just really destructed me. And that self-doubt consumed me. I was like, why do I feel like this and why am I not good enough? That was a big thing for me. I also felt like no matter what I tried to do, I just kept being pushed deeper and deeper down. I tried everything. I wanted to get out of it so bad, but no matter what I tried, it just didn't work. And I just felt like I lost every ounce of confidence in myself. And that was really hard for me because that was something I'd never struggled with before. Confidence was always something that helped propel me in everything I do. And it was one of my strong suits. So that loss was really hard to deal with.
1: And that goes into stigma too, like you're saying that some people didn't really believe what you were feeling. So you thought that you couldn't believe what you were feeling yourself and you were maybe ashamed of coming forward because you didn't
0: know what you were feeling and
1: nobody was there to help you. Exactly.
0: I do just want to have a quick discussion about language here and comment on the fact that you never use the word depressed when describing your own story. And I think that this word is used so casually in society and people don't actually understand the impact that it can have on those who are mentally ill. And being someone who is clinically depressed, hearing that word being tossed around so freely by people saying things like, oh, this is so depressing, or oh, I'm depressed, when they're really just sad, is so detrimental to my well-being and our well-being, because we know what that state feels like, and for people to just say it just to say it is so harmful. And I'm not sure if this is because you study psychology or you're just a huge mental health advocate that you're super aware of the language that you use. And we will get more into your story later and talk about how you were able to distinguish your mental health struggles from a mental illness. But this is a super important conversation to have with people. And I think if you do hear that word being used in a casual social setting, it should be something that we do acknowledge and tell them that that's not okay. I'm not trying to be ignorant or or ignore the fact that people could be actually using this language because they are depressed or they are going through a mental health struggle but it's a process of assessing the situation and if somebody does say that to you maybe ask them are you okay or do you want to talk about anything because then they can see the effect that those words can have on people and the severity of using that language in a social setting and hopefully it'll make them rethink their word choice moving forward. Going off that, I think suicide language is also something that is used in such a casual and joking manner, and it's often something that we see in memes on social media, or people just use verbally, they'll say things like, I would rather kill myself than do this, or I want to hurt myself, I want to off myself, this makes me want to die. Things like that are just said without thinking about who's on the receiving end of that information and how they might be perceiving it. And this is not a joke, it's not funny, we should not be talking like this. I've actually had friends who are mentally ill use this humor as a way to cope with their suicidal thoughts and they will make these comments and I've had to ask them not to say those things around me because when I hear that, it sends me back to that lowest point in my life and I instantly get triggered. My body actually physically shakes and stops and I can't deal with it. I can't hear people joking about it because I know how deep of a hole I feel felt in when I was at that point and for people to just joke about it is so harmful for me and I'm sure several others to hear so again same thing when we do hear this language being used in social settings talk about it acknowledge it say are you actually okay Why are you saying that? Does this actually make you feel that way? Are you having suicidal thoughts? And this will make people rethink the words that they're using and how they go about their feelings and conveying them because there are so many other ways that you can make those jokes or you can say what you want to say without using this negative mental health language.
2: That really resonates with me because I've had a lot of people in my life struggle with mental illness and I've had a lot of involvement in trying to help them get out of that. And hearing those things constantly from someone who is mentally ill completely crushes me inside because there's nothing I want to do more than help someone and help them get out of those constant negative thought patterns. And for me, I've never resorted to using that language because I've known how harmful that's been and how how consuming that's been in their lives. And then also for me, dealing with my mental health instead of a mental illness that was a big struggle as well, because a lot of people were like, you're not diagnosed. So what do you mean you're sad or you're not diagnosed? So you shouldn't feel that way. And that was really destructive too, because just because I didn't get diagnosed or just because I don't have a mental illness, that doesn't mean that I can't feel sad or I can't feel this way and no one should invalidate the way you feel based on that diagnosis. Everybody has mental health and you kind of don't realize how important and how destructive these things can be until you actually go through it yourself. For me, I always knew mental health was important, but I didn't know how terrible and how consuming it can be when you go through such dark things. And I just, I think that you have to be really careful on how you convey, how you feel, and how you use that language to other people who are struggling because you never know what someone is dealing with. Yeah, I
1: completely agree. Um, Just knowing your audience, knowing who you're talking to, what kind of state they may be in, and just taking a moment to really think about what you want to say before you actually come out and say it because it can be very harmful. And then similarly along these lines, like before you actually open up and tell someone your mental health story, I think it's super important to ask them if they're in the right headspace to take in that information because it, could be a really dark and difficult conversation to have, and sometimes you're not always ready to hear that. I know when I'm not doing well myself, I am not really in a state to take on someone else's story or listen to their struggles. And to put yourself first because you can actually help that person if you're not able to help yourself in that moment so recognizing that from your own end and from being the person who's wanting to share that story just be aware of where you're coming from where the person around you might be coming from before you start jumping into things because it is a very serious topic and i think this is a super important conversation to have in terms of changing the overall conversation about mental health because these are the little things that i think just go unnoticed so uh, how are you able to distinguish what you were going through from a mental
2: illness? Yeah, so I never faced those extreme feelings that I knew were symptoms of a mental illness because I've had a lot of mental illness around me. Like I said, just people I know, I've seen it happen firsthand. And I know that I wasn't towards that extreme. I knew what I was feeling was not okay, but I knew that it wasn't a mental illness I think just because I've also learned so much through psychology and just things that I am passionate about are mental health. So I try to really immerse myself in that kind of knowledge. And I knew that I didn't align with any mental illnesses. So that was really important because I knew that I didn't have to go see a doctor. I knew I didn't have to even get medication. I just, I had to figure out, How I could cater a treatment plan almost to just mental health and getting myself back to me.
1: So when you were at your lowest, did you yourself ever have any suicidal thoughts or anything of that matter?
2: No, that's something I never experienced. That was also another one of the reasons why I knew I wasn't experiencing a mental illness, because I didn't experience those extreme suicidal thoughts.
1: It's awesome that you were able to recognize that. I mean, not awesome that you obviously had to go through these really tough times, but having the knowledge that you do, you were able to step back and realize that it wasn't a mental illness, but you did need to take care of your mental health. So what were some of the challenges that you faced in terms of actually getting or asking for the help that you needed?
2: So I think a lot of this revolved around the idea that I didn't have a mental illness and there was a lot of stigma and a lot of ways that mental health was conveyed across poorly because I didn't really know where to go because I was in this weird middle ground. And that was something I really had to battle. And I had to really validate myself. This is where I stepped back and I was like, no, like, you are totally okay for feeling this way and you're going to find a way that you're going to be able to get through this. Sometimes it's trial and error and reaching out really helped. I started to reach out to some friends and family members, people that were close to me and that kind of were able to understand me because they knew me so well. And I think that was a big turning point for me and something I've never looked back on because I knew the importance of reaching out to people.
1: Yeah, like because you're in that middle ground, I guess you felt like you had to convince others that you were actually going through this tough time and you didn't know how to describe it or people were just weren't validating you. So that must have been really hard on yourself to, I guess, question whether what you were feeling was actually worth going out and telling people about.
2: Yeah, so I think for me, that was a, a rough period where overthinking kind of consumed me. I started to let my thoughts consume and dictate the way that I was living and the way I was feeling and just overcoming that was really tough and I it's so much easier said than done like I can give all the advice in the world but it's a long process and you're gonna have those bad days and you might have more bad days and good days, and that's okay. It really just makes you appreciate those good days more. And the longer you spend on yourself, the more you're able to start to feel back to normal.
1: And I think that's super important, what you said, is that not every day is going to be the same. And even if you have one way of coping, that could work one day, and it could do absolutely nothing for you. Uh, I know I have to make a lot of adjustments based on feeling, based on what's going on around me. So it's just really important to take that time to self-reflect, even if it's daily, even if it's every hour, and just ask yourself, what do I need? So clearly it wasn't always easy for you to talk about what you were going through. Um, When you were at that lowest point, it was hard for you to reach out, like you said. Was there any specific moment where you knew that you had to reach out to someone or was there? a feeling that you started experiencing that you were
2: like, okay, this is enough? Yeah. So it took me a really long time to reach out and be okay to talk about what I was going through. I was really sensitive for a really long time and I would still be going practices or I'd still be out trying to live my life with a smile on my face. And it was easy for me to convince people that I was doing okay. I kind of started to withdraw myself from things that I was once really passionate about, just because I needed a bit more time to myself. And I think that period of sensitivity was what made it so hard to talk about for so long. I was feeling such extreme sadness that when someone talked about it, I just I cried like I, I couldn't keep it in because All these feelings that I continue to push down deep inside of me and all these feelings I was experiencing, I I wasn't talking to anyone about them. And that's what made me really burst every time someone would ask me about it or any time someone would even just trigger it a little bit. That was when I just I let it all out. And I think for me, one of the things that helped me talk about was joining Sammy, actually, Student Athlete Mental Health Initiative. Sammy honestly really saved me. It came across a time where I needed it most and I was able to connect with such incredible people and connect with people that were going through the same thing or very similar things. I felt so not alone and that was when I was able to connect with you and become an executive member and I got to pour my heart into something I was so passionate about. Um, Jill, I don't think you know this, but I am so grateful for you. You were truly one of the brightest lights in a time of complete darkness for me. getting a little emotional. (laughs) But thank you for being you, honestly, and allowing me to feel so loved and cared for. And meeting you was the start of such a special friendship. We share so many of the same passions, goals, values, and experiences that are so critical in this time in my life. So that was kind of just me opening up and I think being exposed to so many great people that were so like me allowed me to kind of break out of these cycles that I was going through of suppressing my feelings and crying myself to sleep every night. And I was able to open up.
1: Well before I move on, I love and appreciate you too so much. You've been such a positive light in my life too. and just seeing like how you pour all your energy into Sammy and just being that light for other people is so inspiring and I love hearing your story. And even though you were never diagnosed, you still were at Rock bottom and you managed to pull yourself out of it. I love hearing stories like that. It is so inspiring and especially how you were able to find yourself through Samuel, something that we're both super passionate about. And it's just this community where everybody is so open and honest and help each other out of their mess. we help each other uh, be open about their story and this is what i think is so important about the mental health conversation i just wanted to touch on something you said earlier it's scary how easy it is to pretend like you're okay like when you actually need to how awful you could be feeling in your own personal space at home but then how easy it is to just put on that brave face when you need that. that is so detrimental to our health because We feel this pressure that we have to be this person in society and for our friends. And if we're not, then we're scared of what people might say about us, might think about us. So how was that experience for you?
2: Yeah, that experience for me was awful. I was always someone that was so happy, so positive, everything. And that was really hard to convey when I was feeling such sadness inside. And I didn't want people to see me in in a state where I was so far away from my normal self. And that's something I've really learned from this is it's okay to not be yourself and it's okay to feel that way because everything you're going through is valid and when you let people see that you're struggling, you open yourself up to so much more help and those people who care about you are going to help build you up and they're going to help be there for you when you you can't handle it alone. And as hard as that was for me to go through back then, I'm so grateful, as weird as that sounds. To have gone through that because I've learned so much in such a short time period that I'm going to carry that with me for the rest of my life. And I am so much more aware of other people, too, and just checking in with people and asking them how they are. And just that one question can make someone's whole day because maybe they don't have anyone. And you asking them makes them feel like they're hurt again.
1: No, I completely agree. I'm so grateful for everything that I've gone through, mental illness, injury, everything in my life, because you learn something from it. You learn something about yourself. You learn something about others. And if I never opened up, maybe someone else might not have opened up. And I wouldn't have been in this position that I am today. And I think you and I are both only here because we were at that low point in our lives. And we found a way out of it. We found a community that supported us and allowed us to be ourselves through those difficult times and just normalize the conversation.
2: I think it's so good that we can channel all of that negativity into something so positive now. And just being able to help other people is all I've ever wanted to do. And I really needed someone back then like desperately needed someone and now I can be that someone for someone else and that's all I can really ever ask is just try and help people who are going through similar things and not let them reach that dark spot or not let them hit rock bottom I love that and
1: that's like that compassion that you build like you understand what you're going through and although that's not something that you should maybe say to someone when they're reaching out to you um you do have that empathy you know what they're going through so you can actually support them whether it's verbally, physically, by being there with them or by jumping on a podcast and sharing your story. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how many people that that actually helps. And I'm the same way. I've only ever wanted to help people. So that's why I started this podcast. I wanted to use my story and bring people like you on the show to share their story and just show people that they're not alone, like you said. So what were some of the ways that you coped during your lowest point?
2: Well... Wow. <laughs> One of my most negative coping mechanisms was definitely me crying myself to sleep. I just wanted to feel that pain. Like I wanted to talk to someone, but I was too scared or just letting that all out, even just if it was alone, that was a coping mechanism for a while. And that was so unhealthy and so harmful.
1: Sorry, you Corey, I just wanted to say, like, I love how I asked you like, what are some of the ways you coped and you gave a negative example. I think that is so crucial because when people ask me that question, you always feel this pressure to like actually give a positive response. That's not a normal experience. Like there are so not that I'm normalizing this, but there are so many negative coping mechanisms that people just don't talk about and that we're not able to actually help them address them and get through that.
2: I think a lot of times the path goes through negative coping mechanisms before you realize that that's not healthy and you need to choose a different outlet. And as terrible as that is, it's kind of the reality and a lot of people don't talk about it. And. A lot of people don't know how to positively cope from the get-go, and I think that's one of our goals, to make people aware that there are a lot of positive coping mechanisms. And for me, eventually, after I came to this realization, I was able to really focus on school. I've always loved school, but I had such limited time and I didn't get to devote as much time as I wanted to school because I was juggling so many different things. And I I wasn't great at time management at this point because I was still getting into the university life. And for me, being able to have that shift on school really saved me. That was one of the other things that I was really grateful that I was able to turn to because I could learn about mental health and mental illness in my studies. And I was able to bring up my marks and just come to the realization that I was so much more than what I was making myself up to be and that school was going to propel me really far into my future. And the more I poured into it, the more I get out of it. And that was just a really, really positive thing.
1: And that's awesome that you realize that, especially that you're studying something that you are passionate about and something that you can use in the workforce and something that you do want to continue to pursue throughout your life. I think that's awesome that you were able to take that extra time and energy that you were putting towards your sport towards something else that you loved and have now built such a stronger passion and dedication for it. So what's different now about you? What are some of the ways that you cope
2: Yeah, so like I mentioned before, I, I really placed value on talking to other people once I realized how great I felt when I had someone in my corner. And that's something I really emphasize in my life now is as soon as I'm feeling kind of sad or down, just kind of not myself, I reach out to someone. Talking to them through it is so important because it allows you to kind of stop yourself from going deeper. And that's been really, really important in my life. Another thing for me is I've placed a greater value on self-reflection, just really taking the time to sit down and kind of explore a little bit of how I'm feeling, what I'm going through right now. Am I feeling upset? Okay, how do I fix that? Or do I need more time to myself? Or what are some ways that I can build myself back up? Just really spending that time on myself has been critical, especially in times right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's coming up, like you said, more recently because of the pandemic and because we've had more time to ourselves to actually reflect on maybe how we're feeling or how we're actually living our lives and what adjustments we may want or need to make to improve our mental health, our well-being. So that self-reflection is really important because you can identify your feelings. Maybe if you're a little bit off and like you said, you might need to go for an extra walk today or get some fresh air or maybe do a workout or I have days where I just don't want to do anything and I'm okay. And that's
2: completely okay. Yeah, so as you're saying, just going for a walk or some days you really just don't want to get out of bed. I think it's really important to know that that's okay. You don't have to be doing 600 things at once all the time. And it's okay to just slow down and not do anything because not doing anything can be so helpful. And I think self reflection, like I said, leads into how I cope because when I take that time to self reflect, I'm able to pull out all those positive coping mechanisms that I have, like working out, walking my dogs, things like that.
1: And I hate this word, but it's normal to have shitty days. Like, we're not supposed to have great days every single day. Like, life is a literal roller coaster. We're not gonna feel great all the time. And we do have to experience those lows in order to really appreciate the highs. So it's making those adjustments in my life and just acknowledging your feelings. It's okay to feel like that and maybe let it simmer, deal with it, and then you can move on.
2: I think the most important thing that I could pull up from what you just said is just that self-recognition is so important. Being able to realize that something is wrong or realize you made a mistake or realize you did something wrong is just so progressive in making yourself the person you want to be from there.
1: So the last thing I'm going to ask you today is if you could tell your past self that, Emily, that you shared at the beginning anything, what would it be?
2: I think there's so many things that I could tell myself going through what I have gone through. But the one thing that I would tell my past Emily and all of you listening today is that you are enough. Your feelings are valid. Stop trying to convince yourself that they aren't. I think
1: that is so powerful to tell yourself that you are enough and your feelings are valid. And that is one of the biggest struggles and that is what stigma is. It's people won't care if you tell them, people won't believe you if you tell them. And that is what we're trying to break here is that you are going to feel that way sometimes and that's okay. It's okay to talk about it, it's okay to admit that you might be at your lowest even if you don't have a mental illness, everybody has mental health. So important to Take care of your mental health just the same way that you do take care of your physical health. And if that's taking a day off, if that's doing something extra for your mind today, meditation, yoga, those wellness activities are so important to your overall well-being and it's something that is not nearly talked about enough as it should be. Well, thank you so much, Em, for joining us today and for being vulnerable and sharing your story with all of us. I am so proud of you for getting to where you are today. And am so sorry that you've had to go through everything. But knowing you now, I see how much growth you have achieved and how much stronger you are in your own mind, in your own body, and just being comfortable sharing your story and being that light for other people, which I appreciate and I know several other people are. So thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really love what you're doing and sending these messages out to people is just so incredible.
0: I hope you guys can make out most of what we or I was saying throughout that conversation. Again, I'm really sorry for the poor audio quality, but if you've made it this far, I really appreciate your patience and dedication to such an important topic. I hope that you learned something valuable or can at least take one thing away from Emily's story. Just as a diagnosis does not define a person, you do not need a diagnosis to validate what you may be experiencing. Especially when it comes to daily mental health, our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors will fluctuate on that spectrum based on tons of factors that are typically out of our control. I think that we put so much pressure on ourselves and feel like we are responsible for everything that happens in our lives when the majority of stressors that occur are external and unpreventable. Mental illness aside, our mental health is tested every single day, and should be one of our top priorities because it's what allows us to make the most out of our lives and is often the first thing impacted when any negative situation presents itself. And these situations are often uncalled for, unexpected, and unwanted, but we just have to deal with them. They affect our life, and then we have the choice of either taking control of the outcomes or letting them control us. And this is what life is all about. It's adapting and adjusting to what is placed in front of us because at the end of the day, the way that we perceive these shitty situations and the mentality that we build as a result of these negative experiences is what is going to allow us to be satisfied with our lives. I'm going to stop my rant here, but as I said, please, please, please remember that one in five people have a mental illness, but five in five people have mental health, and it's okay to not be okay sometimes. But it's not okay to let these feelings consume you and make you feel like you are alone or not worthy of reaching out to get the help or the support that you need. We're all people. We all live life. We all know how hard it can be. So take that time to self-reflect and pay attention to what your mind or body might need and just do it Nike. (laughs) sorry I had to but like Emily said it's a process and it's not always going to be easy but start to spend that time and energy on you and you will see differences in several aspects of your life and people like me and Emily want to help you get there so if you have any questions or are looking for extra support My DMs are always open, and Emily also gave me permission to share her Instagram, which is at msluice3, so that's E-M-S-L-U-Y-S and the number three. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we'll continue to tune in every Friday for new topics, new guests, and new ways of thinking. See you soon.